The psalm does not envision a group of thinking people. It turns you into an orchestra. Some people get that wrong about Christianity. They imagine that Christianity is something that you merely think. Now, don't get me wrong. Christianity is something that you know. It's something that you learn. There's no doubt doubt about it. I'll be the first guy to tell you that when you start learning the Christian faith, that what you're doing is you're actually jumping into an ocean, and by the way, you'll find out you won't be able to touch. Not in this lifetime. Certainly, it's something that you know. Certainly, it's something that you learn. But it's also not merely that. When the poet brings you into the faith, he doesn't tell you to know it. He doesn't tell you to learn it. He doesn't tell you to cogitate on it. He tells you to sing it. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. We're going to pick up a Christmas song here. This is Psalm 98. A psalm. Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revealed his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp. With the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing for joy. Let them sing before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples with equity. This is God's word. I feel like this morning I'm working at a little bit of a high wire act. And the reason why I feel like that is because I think that some of you quite possibly are done with Christmas. And so the tension is that I could be like that guy who's still got his lights on the house in July. You're done with Christmas. I'm still going at it. And to make matters worse, some of you are already done with the Happy New Year's. You watched football all day yesterday, and now the freshness of the new year is totally worn off. And yet, I'm stuck because it's still not epiphany. And so I still don't get to talk about Jesus being the light of the world, the magi and the star and all of that wonderful stuff. We're still not there. So what am I supposed to do? You tell me. But here's the issue that's underneath the issue. We get bored. 
When we're done with Christmas, we're done with Christmas. When we're done with the Happy New Year's, we're done with the Happy New Year's. We get bored. That's the issue. And sometimes it's even hard to pique your interest, even when there's something that's actually pretty interesting. Like I could tell you that this is really interesting. This psalm is really interesting. Did you know that is the classic Christmas psalm? It's the classic Christmas psalm. We get it out every year this time of year. In fact, I could tell you this. Did you know that the most popular hymn over the last century, Joy to the World, is based on this psalm? Isaac Watts based the favorite Christmas hymn, Joy to the World, on this Psalm. So I could try to pique your interest on it, but it's still the issue under the issue is boredom. How do I invite you into all of the joy of this psalm when for you Christmas might be over? Well, maybe like this. I want you to consider three things in this psalm. First, consider this song's musicality. Second, consider the basis of this song. And then thirdly, I'd like you to consider its newness. So first the musicality, then the basis, and then we're going to look at the newness of the song. First the musicality. I know that you noticed that the psalm invited you to sing. In other words, it's inviting you to be so thrilled, to be so over the top, that you're like my grandpa when he was going to milk the cows in the morning, he's whistling. It invites you to sing. By the way, don't be too intimidated by that. If you're not a real great singer, don't be too intimidated. Apparently, the poet here of this song says that you can also participate in different ways. Apparently, not everybody's good at singing. So if you're not good at singing, then he says you got to get out the harp. And if you don't want to get out the harp, then what you should do is you should get out a trumpet. And if you can't get out a trumpet, then he says you can get out a ram's horn. So there's a lot of different options here. The point is that you sing in your heart, and you do make some music, even if it doesn't, you know, work for everybody. Now notice something. It's to make music. Not intellectualize. Not learn. Not cogitate. The psalm does not envision a group of thinking people. It turns you into an orchestra. Some people get that wrong about Christianity. They imagine that Christianity is something that you merely think. Now, don't get me wrong. Christianity is something that you know. It's something that you learn. There's no doubt, not a, no doubt about it. I'll be the first guy to tell you 
that when you start learning the Christian faith, that what you're doing is you're actually jumping into an ocean, and by the way, you'll find out you won't be able to touch, not in this lifetime. Certainly, it's something that you know. Certainly, it's something that you learn. But it's also not merely that. When the poet brings you into the faith, he doesn't tell you to know it. He doesn't tell you to learn it. He doesn't tell you to cogitate on it. He tells you to sing it. Some people never see that, and I think it's really sad. Here's one observation I've made about Christians. Those who come to me and say, Pastor, tell me something new. I already know that one already. They stay immature in the faith. They stay immature. They don't learn to trust God more or love people better. They stay immature. This is why sometimes I get kind of brash about this. Like if, if you listen to me long enough, this is what I'm going to tell you. I'm going to say, you know what you should never do with your Bible? You should never read it. That's the wrong thing to do. Since when were you ever supposed to read the Bible? The Bible is not meant for reading. It's at the very least meant to be reread. And if you really want to get biblical about it, what you're supposed to do with the Bible is you're supposed to pray it. You're supposed to meditate on it, and you're most definitely supposed to believe it. What you must never do is merely read it. And what you must never do with the gospel is merely think it. It's not meant for that. It's meant to be so much more. You know what's gross? I, I think this is gross. You know what's gross? Kind of piggish? If you were to take all of your Halloween candy and eat it in one night, that's gross. Everybody knows it's gross. Why is it gross? Because candy is not meant for that. It's not meant, it's, candy is not meant to be gotten past, it's not meant to be stomached, it's not meant to be pounded. What's it meant to be? Enjoyed. Gloried in. And the gospel is not merely meant to be known. It's meant to be sung. So consider the musicality here. Do you know what the best Christmas gift you can give yourself? Or if you're in the new year, the best resolution maybe you can make. Decide to know what you already know better. Decide to kill your boredom and thrill in God's salvation of you more. That's the first point today. Consider the musicality of the song and sing it. Here's the second thing. Consider the basis, this time the basis of the song. The poet's pretty clear about that. Why should we thrill? Why should we sing? Why should we break out in an orchestra? Because God has come. 
Isaac Watts is right when he takes the psalm and he interprets this psalm. He's right about it. What's it about? Joy to the world, he says. Why? The Lord has come. He's right. The poet, you, you watch him in the song. He starts building, he starts building, he starts building. Here's what we're excited about. Here's what we're singing about. The Lord has come. He starts working up to his apex. He gets poetic about it. He says, you know what? It's not enough that the people turn into a choir and they start doing their orchestra. It's not enough. He says all of the creation has to break in and join the song. And so he's got this amazing poetic image, right? The rivers come and the rivers, they start clapping their hands, and then you got the peaks, the twin peaks, they join the chorus, and so all of creation starts to sing. Why? The Lord has come, and what is He doing? He's ruling the people with righteousness, and He's judging them with equity. God has come, and God has come to be God. He has entered His creation. He has entered it in time and in space with His own hands, and this culminates Isaac Watts is right with the incarnation. God has come to be one of us. Consider that. That's the basis of the song. I was talking to my daughter about this on the way to Christmas Eve worship. I said, this is what the incarnation is. God has become one of us. She said to me, Dad, you should preach about that sometime. <laughs> I think I will. <laughs> this is the whole point of Christmas. Did you know that? Christmas didn't used to be a thing. Not in the early church. It wasn't a thing. In the first and second centuries, it wasn't a thing. It only became a thing in the third and fourth centuries. You know why? Because people who thought of themselves as Christians weren't actually believing Christian things about Jesus. They didn't realize that Jesus, from all eternity, fully God, became a man. Same problem exists today. I don't know if you know that or not. I know this from teaching people. When they come into the church, they don't know it. They say, Pastor, the, never, the church never taught me. God became a man. We shouldn't be sloppy about it. I think we have to be real careful saying that Christmas is Jesus' birthday. There's a sense in which it's not. Jesus never had one. He's always been. There is never a time when Jesus was not. What do we say in the creeds? We say in the creeds that Jesus was begotten of the Father from all eternity. There was never a time when Jesus was not. There's a sense in which then Jesus was, 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 has always been. And we shouldn't be celebrating Jesus' birthday. He's always been around. They don't, people don't understand that about the, about the Old Testament. They say, you know, Jesus entered the world in the New Testament when he, he, she, he was born of Mary. Not true. He's all over the Old Testament. What is he called in the Old Testament? Often he's called the angel of the Lord. Jesus did not start intervening in his world in the New Testament when he was born of Mary. He was intervening the whole time. What he did in Mary is culminate it. 
He brought it to an apex. Jesus has always been. What happened in the incarnation is that he was born of a woman. Consider the basis of the song. It's such a mystery that he would do that. Such a gap between God and people. How do we get at that? Would you become a slug? How about a germ? Would you? God became a man. Can you at least try? Can you at least try? Can you at least try to hear that like you've never heard it before? Can you, can you at least pretend like, like that's the newest news you've ever heard, that hear it so that it's shocking, maybe even scandalous. God became a man. You know how sometimes when you say a word enough, the word starts sounding weird? Okay, that's just me. I haven't thought I should try that with the incarnation. Maybe I could just say, God became a man, God became a man, God became a man, God became... If I said it enough, maybe it would start to shock you. It starts sounding wonderfully amazing and mysterious to you. God became a man. What if I did it like this? I got, I got this text... It's December 25th, I get a text from somebody, it's this beautiful quote from one of the church fathers, his name is Augustine. And he says, look at what you see in Christ in the incarnation, here is a birth without a mother, begotten of the Father from all eternity. And here at the same exact time is a birth without a father. Born of a virgin, Mary. Here's a birth at the exact same time, without father, without mother, with mother, without... You see? Wow. Doesn't that take your, doesn't that take your brain and just... Doesn't it? I mean, it's got to set your brain. Here's what, here's what, this is what we're saying. The infinite God came in finite form. You say, that's impossible. The, the infinite cannot be contained by the finite. Who says? But God did it. This is what the scriptures say. The, the infinite and the finite. God and man. What do the scriptures say? In Christ. All the fullness of the deity. Not part, not half. All the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. <laughs> Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. That's the incarnation of our Lord. There's one simple application to this. I think it's really obvious. God became a man. What's the application of this? That you might become a child of God. God 
became cold in Bethlehem that you might be warmed today. Consider the basis of this song. It is the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And now finally consider the newness of the song. Probably one of the most obvious things about this song is that the poet here says that he wants you to sing a new song. Now this is actually pretty provocative of the poet. <laughs> because you realize what he's saying is you've got to be done with the old one. This is provocative. Because you know which song's the old song? Everybody knew this. What was the old song? Moses' song. So the poet says... That song is obsolete. You know the one that they sang on the shores of the Red Sea? You know the one where they sang about Pharaoh going down? It's done. Sing a new song, people of God. God has done something new. And the poet tells you why. God has done something more than conquer Egypt. He has conquered his entire world. God has done something more than just take down Pharaoh and his evil army. He has taken down every single enemy in all of heaven and all of earth. That's the world of this poem. If you look into the world of the poem, there's no enemies left. There is not a single enemy left. And Isaac Watts is right. That is the song of Christmas. Because finally God can go no lower than how to defeat our enemies. And finally God can bring us no higher than himself which he did in his glorious resurrection. Sing a new song. The old one is out. There's only two reasons, at least two rudimentary ones, why you might not be still yet. It's either because you think too lightly of your sins, or because you think too much of them. If you think too lightly of your sins, this isn't great news for you because, well, your sins don't matter that much. And that's a problem with your self-knowledge. And what the church has historically done, and I'm going to repeat it, is if that's your problem, then you should pinch yourself and see if you're human. On the other hand, if your problem is that you think too much of your sins, then you need to spend some time looking at God because you don't know God well enough then. Your sin is not bigger than God. Your actions are not more determinative for your life than God's salvation of you. So what you need to do is stare at the empty tomb for a while. So at a rudimentary level, there's only two reasons why you might not be singing yet, and that's either because you think too much of your sins or too little of them. 
But I'd also suggest that maybe there's an issue underneath the issue. Maybe this Christmas you just haven't had time to let it breathe yet. That's what it was for me. There I was, finally on December 26th. You know how it is. You're determined during Christmas, I'm going to appreciate this, I'm going to soak it in, and then it's a tidal wave. It comes and it's gone. (laughs) It never quite breathed. So there I am. I'm in this tiny Lutheran church in northern Wisconsin. It's December 26th. And it's the end of the worship service. And we're singing this great Christmas hymn. And finally, Christmas breathed. I hear the first stanza of the hymn. It said this, The Son of God is with sinners now one, made like us of flesh and blood. And I knew it all already. And then I got to the second stanza. And it said, hell and Satan and storm may rave, but Christ is my brother, and I am safe. And I knew that already, too. And then I got to the third stanza, and it said, I cannot, and I will not ever fail, because I am God's, and he is mine. And I knew it already. But when I sang the hymn, suddenly I knew it better. And my wife looks over me because the irony is I'm supposed to sing this song and I'm singing as much as I can, but I can't sing because my heart was singing so much. You cannot fail, it said. Do you think that Christmas just needs time for you to breathe? Here we are at the beginning of a new year together. You are already saved before you even started. You are already forgiven before you ever even sinned. You already know what God is going to do for you before it ever even happens. You can't know it well enough. You can't believe it strongly enough. And you can't glory in it enough. Oh, but dear people of God, you know what you can do. You can sing it. Let me pray with you. Joy to your world, Father. No more can the curse be found unwound by your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Be in the hearts of your people today. Invite them into your joy that they might do something more than intellectualize the faith that they might wonder at the mystery of your incarnation, 
And Lord, finally, that they might sing the new song that is Christmas. A song that may be old, but is always new in our hearts. We pray this in the name of your Son.